Welcome back to Better Podcasting Chats with me, SP. For those curious about Steven, because, you know, he does do better podcasting with me, he did this past week ask to be on the show. So if you want to hear from him, send him a message over on his Twitter account at Steven Wanderu and let him know you want to hear and see him on the show. Also, if you want to schedule a time to chat with me in the future about your podcast experience here on this show, and you want to talk about your podcast, or maybe even use it as a consulting session, just send me an email, stargatepioneer at getageek.com, or send me a DM on Twitter, or catch me on Discord, and we'll arrange a time to have you on the show. I know a lot of you listening to this show would love to have your say about podcasting, and this would be your chance to join me and chat on whatever podcasting subject you want to. This is a clean show, so take that for what you will. I would love to have you on, though, and I would love to be on your show, too, so let me know. This week, though, I am joined by somebody who I admire quite a bit in the podcasting space. He's an Air Force veteran who started to podcast as a way to stay connected with his service friend. He has an independent podcast named Ritual Misery and has even podcasted about the podcasting space before on a show called Undaunted. He is currently a freelance podcast producer for a few notable shows, which we might get into later on. And he is an enthusiast when it comes to videography and photography and even does a monthly show on that subject. Welcome to the show, Amos. Thank you, SP. It's a pleasure being here. That is quite the introduction. I feel uh, I feel a little bit of uh, imposter syndrome coming in here, but okay. <laughs> you know, I have to say, you were one of the people that I was just ecstatic to actually meet in person for the first time at Podcast Movement 2021 in Nashville. We met. It was just for a brief few minutes, but it was great mm -hmm. to actually see you. And uh, I hate to admit it, but you're like two feet taller than I am. This is true. I, would, I don't know if two feet is right, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a full head taller than you, which was not uh, not what I was not 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 something I thought I would find out. I thought you were a little taller than you are. Yeah, well, you know, when you're going to be a pilot, being shorter actually helps a little bit because it does. You can't be too short though, because if you're too short, you can't reach the pedals, which is a problem. But if you're too too tall, you hit the canopy. So when you eject, yeah. So they like their <laughs> pilots to be within. An aid or uh, height range for sure. Yes. Yep. So, was Ritual Misery your first podcast? It was. It was. Well, we, uh, I my first attempt at doing the creative endeavor was a basically a Vlog Brothers ripoff on YouTube with Kent, my co-host on Ritual Misery, and that failed because Kent doesn't know how to do video, and he still doesn't to this day. <laughs> And then I was running around the track preparing for my PT test, and I heard on an episode of Daily Tech News Show during the post show, the basic steps on how you can do a podcast for free. And I was like, that's interesting. Let's see if I can get that to work. And that was in 2014. And yeah, that was, uh, Virtual Misery came out of that, and it's been refined several times over the years. And right now it's in kind of a weird state because... Last year during COVID, I had to kind of step away and take a break because too many things were going on. And then this year, Kent has had to do the same thing because of family issues going on. So we're kind of just 
holding on until we can both get our lives together and get back into the hobby space of ritual misery. Well, I wouldn't know anything about that. You know, this show is evidence <laughs> of that with Steven. <laughs> and honestly, when we first started the hiatus, it was me that primarily needed a couple of months off for the wedding. And I would wholeheartedly recommend that to any hobbyist out there. If your kid is getting married, you and you have to choose between spending time getting ready for that and celebrating that versus your hobby podcast, unless your hobby podcast is about the wedding itself, make sure you spend time with the family, right? Yeah. That's what I would recommend. And, you know, Steven's having to take some additional time off right now. I think everybody understands that and that opened the opportunity for me to do this show. So I took the opportunity and ran with it. And, and that's one of the great things about hobby podcasting is it, it ex- you, you'll experience the same burnout that you do professional podcasting. You, you hit a point where it's just like, I'm kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And you step away for a little bit, whether it be for family issues or personal issues, or uh, maybe a small disagreement with your co-hosts or, or your team. And then once you do that, you kind of like it, the creative minds don't stop creating. They want to put something out there. They want to express their, themselves. And when you take a small break from podcasting, that's one of the things that can happen is you can start thinking of other ways that you can invest your time and other messages that you want to share or other ideas on how you want to share the same message, i.e. podcast. And you can really make that a way to push things forward. And that's why a lot of podcasts take like a mandatory break during the holidays each year is to get refreshed and kind of let the creative juices flow extended hiatus that's that's a iffy subject but like what you're doing here it's it's a way to keep expressing other ideas or other ways of of expressing similar ideas and this is an extension of something that we'd been discussing pushing better podcasting towards anyway was interviewing other hobby podcasters in the space and getting their takes on things and stuff like that so like i said i just took the opportunity and ran with it and have been enjoying it and still keep in contact with steven over everything. Matter of fact, we were just chatting today about my new podcasting desk that's about to happen. More on that later. So you are going by Amos on this show, and most mm-hmm. of the shows you go by Amos. But if somebody's looking for you on Twitter, there is another name, and that's even different than your actual name. So what <laughs> unlike me with Stargate Pioneer, which was clearly not my name. You have a different path there. So could you explain a little bit about your names and where they came from and what they mean? My name, my legal name is Anthony Robin Lemos. I was named partially after my father. His name was Robin Anthony Lemos. And in ninth grade, I was in English class with my co-host from Ritual Misery, Kent. And I was a bit of a goody two-shoes. Actually, I was just really looking for any reason to get out of class for a little bit. And we had a substitute teacher who needed someone to run an errand to the main office. So I said I would do it. He told me what he needed. I went to run out of the classroom. He said, wait, what's your name? And I said, Anthony Robin Lemos. He, and I left. I just, I went to run the errand. And he asked the class, what what was that kid's name? Was it Amos? I got back to class. And everybody started calling me Amos. It started out as a joke for a day. And then amongst my small groups of friends, it caught on. And I have been known by my friends as Amos ever since. So we're looking at 30 plus years of being called Amos as a nickname from 
some partially deaf substitute teacher. Well, thank you for including us as part of your friends so we can call you Amos on the show. Of course. And then uh, Ethan Kane is where I can be found on Twitter, on most social media is Ethan Kane. Most of my online presence, my username is Ethan Kane or some derivative Ethan Kane or Ethan Kane 77, the year I was born. The uh, Ethan Kane came out, came out as a, it was a Dungeons and Dragons character that turned into a Vampire the Masquerade character whose full name was Ethan Kane Ponsciante. Full backstory on him and everything else. But when it came time to start writing poetry in high school, I wanted a pseudonym. So I started using Ethan Kane as my pseudonym because nobody knew me as Ethan Kane. And when I started getting online in 96 and I needed to create an email account, Ethan Kane was what it was. And then it just became Ethan Kane everywhere. Now those are my two, my two primary names. Some people like Bollywood call me Alaska because I'm in Alaska and that way she can remember where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) How is it up at podcasting in Alaska? A lot of other podcasters up there? There are some, but there are very small pockets and most of them, there's no like group of podcasters, you know, group of Alaska pod, at least not that I've been invited to a uh, group of Alaska podcasters that meet regularly and do things. Although there, there are little pockets here and there of two or three that do stuff, but nobody's all of them that I know of are either really, really focused on a very small niche that doesn't apply to me. One guy does uh, does does restaurant reviews. Well, there's only so many restaurants you can review up here, so that didn't last very long. And others are working with people in the lower 48, and they're really kind of quiet about it because it doesn't, you know, the no, nobody comes up here to brag about things like this. When I tell people I'm, I podcast or that I produce podcasts or whatever, they're like, "That's a real thing." <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a real thing. I would love to have a, a small group of podcasters that can meet up here and talk about things, especially like how we work around our internet connectivity, because that's that's a thing. I'll bet. So, what is your internet situation right now? I suppose I have fiber to my house, which was which is a new development that came in as they were building a, a subdivision near my house. They routed fiber to us as well. It is supposed to be gigabit down, uh, 100 megabit up. I actually get about 400 megabit down, 250 megabit up. But the 400 megabit down comes with about a 10 second delay three or four times randomly throughout the day. (laughs) That would be rough, especially if you're actually producing a live show or something like that. Oh, yeah. Heaven forbid. Uh, Wow. Wow, I'm just I'm mentally going through that. So I have brought, full disclosure, I have broadband cable in my neighborhood because that was the best thing that was available when the neighborhood was being constructed. Mm-hmm. And I think I've got 200 down, but only 15 up, something like that. Maybe 400 down, 15 up. I can only get 15 okay. up. That's 15 to 25 up is about the extent of what I can get. Right now, That's they rough. are in the process of throwing in fiber gig symmetrical fiber to the neighborhood Ooh. it's through a company called metronet which some people in the neighborhood have done reviews or looked at reviews and reliability is a little spotty so 
I might wait to pull the trigger on that until there is more data, but even broadband cable has its issues too. And in another full disclosure, what I really have a problem with, especially only with 25 up is that is not enough to do a full video podcast unless I use something like StreamYard, like what we're using right now. I have no capability of throwing multiple video streams back out to my guests or guests or co-hosts or anything like that. So that is my limitation. So I envy your situation, even with the 10 second lag three times a day. And by the way, that's still an improvement over to fiber. Nothing kills a Skype call. You just hung up, by the way. (laughs) They're listening. (laughs) So, what the last thing I heard was, and that's an improvement. That's an improvement over the one to two minute little lags that I would get over with when when I had cable, which is what I had before I had fiber. And if you can imagine that ten, that you know, couple seconds that I just dropped there, going to one to two minutes while I'm hosting a video call. No. <laughs> Host go awry. Hey, where's Amos? It was awful. It was awful. Okay, so let's stay on your hobby podcast for a second here. You mentioned improving that over time. How have you improved your show over time since you started in what the 2014 time frame? Yeah, the first thing we did was improve audio quality by getting rid of my blue yeti and going to ATR2100, I think is what I went to after that, before I went with the mic that I currently have. The audio was just horrible, and I couldn't understand why until one day I saw a review by this random guy named Stephen John Drew, and (laughs) realized that the Yeti was just the wrong mic for my situation. And uh, I was like, okay, all right, cool. Well, let's change that. And I did. And we've gone through a lot of changes. We added show notes. That was this thing that we didn't have to start off with to kind of structure the podcast. We uh, initially started it clean. We both realized that that was a little too hard for either of us. So we went to an edited version where I would go through and bleep it out until I realized that there was a lot of bleeps that it was just taking too long to add the bleeps. So we just went uncensored. And we've gone through things like we had a year of getting guests. We wanted a guest on a different guest every single week. And in a 52 week year, we had a goal of 50 shows of 45 guests in that year. And we hit 49 shows. We lost one because of Thanksgiving. We, we hadn't planned on our typical Thanksgiving break. And we hit 44 guests. So we hit one shy of our guest goal. And that was a hard push. And it worked out really well. And that's when the burnout really started to become a thing. And ooh, I tell you what, we should have done that for six months instead of a year. But things like that, and trying different platforms, we, went, we were using OBS for a while, then we would switch over to Streamlabs OBS, and now we are on StreamYard. Different audio equipment, just so that I could... I do all the production for the show, so separating audio streams so I could balance them individually and then do some, some corrections and things like that and throw in the audio afterwards instead of trying to produce it live. We've done pretty much anything out there to do that doesn't cost a ton of money or involve hiring someone outside of the two of us. We've tried with Ritual Misery. 
if you could have told yourself one thing besides not using a Blue Yeti when you started out to make it easier on yourself, what would you told yourself? Clearly define responsibilities with your co-host. Make it a commitment on both of your parts because I was committed to learning how to do the audio and he was kind of committed to doing the show notes and the links and things like that. He has since fell on, fallen off from that, which makes my entire process. That's my least favorite thing about podcasting and him not doing that made it more of a burden to me. So now we're two episodes behind and we're only doing them monthly. That's how much I hate doing show notes. Clearly define the roles of the people you are podcasting with. On our shows and my shows that I produce, we've actually taken to even written agreements mm. where we say, okay, this is what the expectations are. This is what you're signing up to do. Just so everybody's clear. On, and it's not like you're going to get fired if you don't do it or anything like that. But if you're clearly having difficulties doing something, then let us know so that we can rearrange responsibilities. I will tell you for doing show notes on a weekly show, when you're doing a hobby podcast, you're recording. And then you're doing post-production for hours later and then publishing the show a couple of days later. When you publish the show, you go immediately, at least in my workflow, I go immediately into, okay, now I have to do the show notes. And so there's no off time to do other fun things during the week, during those limited fun time hours. So mm -hmm. the burnout can get pretty hard, pretty fast on that, at least for me and what I've experienced. So Having, as you just described it, some sort of agreement with your co-host or co-hosts to do different things, if you're doing a weekly show, again, then I think that is good advice, personally. And I would say the more often you're doing the show, so if, you know, weekly is pretty important, monthly, maybe not as much, but if you're doing like a daily show and you don't have clear roles for everyone involved, that can be disastrous because that... That is often enough to build resentment, not just to the tasks that you don't want to do, but to the people you feel should be doing them. And I'm sure that's variable for different people, but as a producer on a daily show, I can tell you that there are definitely certain times that I'm, I'm wondering why certain people are, are even around if they're not going to be doing the things that they're supposed to do. Okay. We'll keep that behind the closed door for now, I guess. <laughs> Last episode, I talked to Chris Farrell on the Guinea Geek Network and co-host of mine and stuff like that. He had tried to do a solo show three times a week, Nerd mm. Alert News. And he said that burned him out because the just the tempo of trying to do kind of the similar daily show format that's out there today. Uh, he was trying to emulate that and it just wasn't where he, he burned out really quick. I forget what episode he got to, but. He said the last five episodes were not his best work and there was no way out of it. So he decided mm -hmm. to move on with the show versus continue to dig that hole deeper and deeper and deeper. So uh, for those that are trying to do either a daily show or solo show or both, the, those are some things to watch out for. Especially a solo show because you're doing not only all the work yourself, but you need to be able to hold an audience with just your voice for an extended period of time every time you do it. And that's not something that I've, I've attempted it a few times, but nothing's ever come out of it because it's just so, 
there's a different pressure there than when you can bounce ideas and bounce thoughts off of another person. It's a, it's an extra level. Like it's a whole new pre branch of difficulty going down that, that is clearly not for everybody. Otherwise we'd all be doing it. Right. Even successful solo radio shows, you hear the producer chime in from time to time. Oh yeah. They're being fed things all the time. But, you know, there's in the old days, it was a piece of papers. You could hear the papers ruffling. You thought it was the, the host shuffling their papers, but it's actually a producer sliding new ideas in front of them or counterpoints and things like that for them to dispute. Now it's just all by, by message. Even the biggest names, Rush Limbaugh never did a solo show. He did a show with four producers sitting behind the glass wall, you know, tossing stuff at him 30 years or whatever. Solo is, is a totally different animal. It's, it's rough. Yeah. I've done it once de facto with Legends of Feel Longbox Edition or one show not just once but a show and it was tough even though i had different segments to throw in it was tough just doing the solo show at least i had the segments to bounce in and out of but yeah and not to mention it's it's rough on your throat just talking for that amount of time and trying to share your emotions and be dynamic in in your expression that even even that gets tiring after doing it for 20 minutes into the microphone it's a rough thing. It's not, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. I, I just uh, scratch my head over the podcasters out there that do that sort of stuff. And usually they're, they don't do a daily show or even a weekly show. It's either a bi-weekly or a monthly show that I've seen. If they want to go any length of time beyond, like you said, 20 minutes, if they're doing an hour or two hour show. You're talking once a month, maybe, maybe every other week. If you have somebody doing your production work for you. Yeah. And, and a lot of those are actually writers that have already written everything down that are actually just reading, either ripping off their, their template, or not their template, their, their notes from the, what they've written, or they're reading what they've written verbatim. And that takes a lot of the pressure off, because then you're, you're not having to think about what you're saying, how you're saying everything else. You can basically just, how am I reading this into a microphone? For, you know, and that can take some of it off, but not all of us are good writers to be able to write stuff like that. I, I get inspired on my website, I'll put out something. It was about once a month I'd write like a little small essay on on certain topic and it's all personal experience stuff. And I could have released that as a podcast. I don't know that anybody would have listened, but that would have been a lot easier than having a list of topics and just trying to riff off of them. It's that's um, hats off to anybody that can actually genuinely podcast a solo show by themselves. Yeah, another thing that we both do, but I know you do every show is at least your hobby shows is you live stream you live stream ritual misery with a chat room would you recommend doing that as a hobby podcaster yes for two reasons one if you say something and the audience responds to it you have the option of continuing down that path and enjoying that topic and getting more engagement which can lead you to more thoughts and, and more shared experiences, especially with your audience. And two, there are no harsher critics than the people that you're live streaming to that are spending their time on Twitch or YouTube or whatever platform you're using, and you mess something up. So it gives you an artificial sense of importance on the, on the work that you're doing. And I think that can be very helpful for some people. Third, if I can throw a third reason in, it's just fun. 
because even after you get done streaming the actual show, you hang out for a while and you've got the audience there. And, you know, if there's no audience, that tells you immediately that you need to find another way to engage. If there's too much audience, then maybe you should be doing it more often. Like, it's a good barometer of, of where you stand in your space you know, at a particular time slot. Now, there's a lot of variables there, but it's still something that I think you, I think everyone should try, even if you don't do it for the podcast, because I know some people will record the podcast separately and then live stream about the podcast shortly after its release. And that ends up with a lot of, uh, a lot of interactions as well. So they'll release their podcast on, say, Tuesday morning, and then Tuesday evening, they're doing a live chat with the audience of the podcast on Twitch. And that, that way they can get that engagement without getting the interruptions of the, you know, during the podcast. So I think live streaming is definitely something that a lot of people, especially hobbyists that aren't, that aren't trying to make money on it. I think it's really something that they could explore and you never know what you're going to find. Like it's, it's a, it's a, a melting pot of ideas between what the audience expects of you and, and what they think they, that you'd be good at. And, you know, to get that feedback loop live and in real time is pretty great. I think I did that twice de facto for legends of shield because I didn't know what I was doing. So it was on YouTube and instead of just publishing it, I chose premiere, which is the same as you were just talking over on Twitch where you premiere it and it, it's live stream for the first however long the show is and then it, you can go in on demand after that but i did it and we got some engagement and i was like whoa what is this but then i talked to steven about it later i'm like no that's that i don't, I don't want to be have to be available for that period of time or whatever but now that you mention that that might be nice but it would throw i think an artificial barrier because you'd want to try to schedule that on a, a time to have it premiered and if your yeah. production is running a little bit late, if, if you're plus or minus four hours or a day or two on your release, it's probably not the best thing. Yeah, it, it would work best for someone who's doing it on probably a weekly basis. And then you schedule it for sometime after the, you know, a few days after the release. Or you, if you have a community, you can just say, hey, it premieres at this time. And I'll be there to watch it with you. And you throw it into Discord in your, in your private chat, you know, that's behind a, some sort of uh, a wall, either a paywall or just a email wall or however you control your discord audience. You put that back there and then those people can go there and they know, Hey, at this time, this thing's going to premiere. And of course, at the same time, it's, it's up on YouTube saying, Hey, going to premiere at this date. And you've already got it ready. You've got it done and it's, it's set and good to go. And then you set the premiere date and time. And you already know that you're going to be available on your schedule, things like that. So if it's not at a certain day and time every week, at least have a good leeway and, to, and a way to tell your audience that it's going to happen and then be there for it. And I think it's a great way to do that. Man, you're just so good at answering these questions. You should have a podcast about podcasting. I did that for a while. <laughs> I remember. It was good. It was great. Yeah, it, it was fun. It was fun. I, I, what, what happened was, so you're talking about the Undaunted podcast and what happened essentially is I was running out of people to talk about podcasting that would be honest with the questions that I was asking and be open to a smaller podcaster like myself asking them the questions that I was asking. Because I would ask them about not only why they podcast, but what they get out of it. You know, do they actually make money at doing it? And what is it brought into their life, whether that's uh, other opportunities or whatever? And 
a lot of people, they podcasting is such a weird space. A lot of people want to be really, really private with everything in podcasting. And I understand some people want to feel like they're doing better than, than they're doing by, by not, cause you know, somebody, someone thinks, Oh, better, better podcasting. You guys are really well known. You're doing all kinds of numbers and this and that and everything else. And then they find out that you're not doing as well as they have it in their head. They can be let down and maybe think less of your podcast, but it's only because we're not all open and honest about what, about the numbers that we're, that we're downloading or that we're getting and downloads don't equal listens. Like it's, it's a rough, I mean, you guys have covered this several times. It's, it's, it's a rough area. It is, but we underlie the whole thing by, if you're doing a hobby podcast and it's not your full-time job, you might be trying to get money out of it, go to independent podcasting or whatever. But if you're going to podcast as a hobby podcaster, make sure it's fun because you're going to be doing it in some low times, low numbers. You might have stuff going on in your life but you think it's still good to keep the podcast going for whatever reason, maybe it's therapy for you or, or whatever to keep it going, you're still going to have to podcast through it. So if it's a subject that you have a lot of passion for and it's fun, then you can keep on doing it no matter what happens. And that's the key there to make sure that you can keep on going. Yeah. Something I want to clarify that you and I have talked about this before. The Ritual Misery podcast is a hobby podcast that has a Patreon. Now you're asking, how does that, how does that work? Because you're getting a Patreon, so you're getting money for doing the podcast. We have taken some of the Patreon money and we bought new equipment, you know, microphones and things like that. Nothing for anything outside the podcast. It's always been like, hey, my camera literally, literally broke. I need to go to Amazon and buy a new one. So we, we'd use Ritual, Ritual Misery money for that. But everything that we've gotten out of there, and the coffers are almost empty now, we just went down to uh, to Austin for a Diamond Club meetup. Everything that we've gotten money from the patrons for, we've given back in some way. So we've done live events where we've given out t-shirts and given out stickers and other swag, things like that, just to people that wanted to, sh- a small group of people, 20 people that wanted to show up, 10 of them walked away with t-shirts, you know? Uh, we spend money on things like that. It also helps buy my plane tickets to Austin, which is usually where we do any live event we do. Because that's really expensive. But I go down there and then we, we come up with shirts and stickers and we have a good time. We buy drinks. You know, we have, we have a game that if you're one of, the, one of the people that owns the first edition t-shirt we ever put out and we catch you in public or you catch us in public and you're wearing that first edition shirt, we buy you a drink once per day. Right there on the spot. Boom. We're buying a drink. It can be a soda. It can be... Long Island iced tea. Doesn't matter. We're paying for you for one drink for you that day because you were wearing that first edition shirt in public. You know, so we have things like that. Or we'll just, we'll be at the bar and we'll have a small uh, meetup and I'll buy a round for everybody there. That comes out of the original misery fund. None of the money that we've ever made on our, our Patreon has gone into our pockets. It all sits in an account. And right now we have about $400 in there because like I said, we just went to Austin, had a huge event down there. Tickets were expensive. We got down there. We kind of went hog wild a little bit, uh, a couple of locations and bought quite a few drinks and uh, maybe a dinner or two for some very special long time patrons of ours. And we had a lot of fun, but it's, it, I still consider that hobby podcasting because it's not paying us. We're, we're accepting money for it, but we're putting that directly back into the community through either giveaways or swag or the ability to do live events. 
when we know a lot of our listeners are going to be at a place. You can go the gray area if you want, but I still consider that a hobby podcast. I would totally consider that a hobby podcast. If you have a community that's willing to invest in you to do those sorts of things and you want to meet with your community, because some communities are online only, but a lot are you want to interact with people that are of similar mindsets and podcasts is a great way to to bring those communities together. And if you just want to turn that around and reinvest it into the community, that's part of your podcast as far as I'm concerned, especially with a hobby podcast reinvested in there. That's a great point. And as soon as I start a Patreon for any one of my shows, that's going to be <laughs> high on my list in order to do, because I've been thinking, I don't really have a time, the time to invest in a lot of extra content, but I could have time to invest in the community. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Cause you know, the tiering on, Patreon, they encourage you to do different tiers. You don't have to, but they encourage you to do different tiers and then give some behind the scenes extras or something like that for the oh, higher yeah. tiers. I just never wanted to get into that on any of my shows because I, I just didn't want to. And then also with better podcasting, we wanted to show that yes, you can still podcast as hobby podcasters and not do it without a pay with a Patreon. You can do it without a Patreon. Yeah, it's kind of where we've been. But for Legends of Shield, I'm not adverse to it. But I was, I've been thinking about an angle, and I think you just gave me the angle to do that. Of course, I'm going to ask my audience: Would you like me to start a Patreon? Because if they don't, then I'm not going to do it. If they're offended by it or whatever, I'm not not going to do it. But if they're willing to contribute to it, as long as part of it goes to the community, I'm I'm all for it. Yeah. We had a surplus for a couple of years ago, so we made a de- uh, we dedicated the September, October, and November Patreon income towards our annual charity event. So that's mm-hmm. a commitment. So it's you know it's roughly 150 bucks a year uh, at this point. It, it was about 500 the first year that we did it because we had so much in the coffers because we just hadn't spent any of the money, but we give up about a quarter of our patron income each year towards the um, extralife.org fundraiser for Children's Miracle Networks as part of our 27-hour streamathon that we do each year. And that's just a known thing. I think it's actually on the Patreon page that your September, October, and November pledges are going to go towards that event. That's going to be the Ritual Misery don- you know, donation. And then Kent and I typically match that each. So <laughs> it, it, that's just the way it works out. And that's that, you know, that we match that out of our own pocket. And that's that's another aspect of the community that you can do if you have the money there, and if you're not going to use it for your pockets, there you can start directing that, those funds to other things that you really believe in, and that shows your audience that you really believe in it. And I think that's important as well. So it's not always just about making money; it's about having the funds to do community events with and to bring light specific topics that you really think are important. I would totally agree with that. I just earlier today watched a video from Gamers Nexus, which is a YouTube channel that was started to investigate and review computer or PC gaming parts and and, uh, old PCs and stuff like that. And they are giving away to charities right now for e-waste to contribute Mm. with e-waste and then other charities as well. They're making it a point to have those videos up for those as well as to invest some of the money that they get in 
they have a Patreon plus, of course, they get all the revenue from advertising and YouTube and stuff like that. So they make sure that they're giving a healthy part of that to causes that their audiences are into, which I think is a great mindset to be in. I mean, a lot of hobby podcasters are just struggling. They just want their monthly bills paid, whether it's their URL or their hosting, if they go with paid hosting, which I would recommend, but I know a lot of people, it pains me to say, go with the free hosting. Yeah. 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 Or, or roll your own RSS and, and, but then you're still paying for your hosting of the file somewhere. Yep. And keep in mind is even with like Patreon, there's no requirement to do anything special. You can have a Patreon at a dollar a month, which I believe is the minimum pledge. You set it up for a dollar a month. They can donate as little as $1 per month, or they can up that as high as they want. And you don't have to actually produce anything special for the Patreon. It's basically like a PayPal account they can just subscribe to instead of paying you one time. And, you know, they, they're like, you know, I get a lot of value from the show. Uh, I want to give something back. I'm going to go to this Patreon and, and throw a little money in there. I know I'm not going to get anything extra, but I want to make sure the show continues going on. And that is always an option. And dollar for dollar, if you do not want your money wasted on any processing fees and things like that, if you look overall, the best way to get your creator the most money is through Patreon. YouTube subscriptions, Twitch subscriptions, all that stuff, there's a bigger cut coming out than Patreon. I know they just recently had a big bump in how much they're charging people, but they're still top of the game as far as how much of your dollar, how many pennies out of your dollar is going to the creator and not to the company. And keeping a show running is, it does cost money. I've recently run into a couple of issues with my equipment, and that gets me back to a recommendation that we made on Better Podcasting a long time ago, which plan you don't have to do this, but plan to replace or upgrade your gear every three to five years. Because yep. with electronics, you get dust in the room, you get, if you're moving it around and just stuff breaks after a while, you're talking every three to five years, you're probably going to have to either replace or upgrade your entire studio or podcast production uh, chain or, or whatever. And I've had several things happen recently that have led me down that path. First, it was the computer. Then it was my mixer, which is miraculously still working right now. And then it's my monitors, which I wanted to do this year. I just took delivery of a new monitor today that's not in my setup yet because I have to wait for the new mixer to come. Mm -hmm. And yeah, lots of stuff going on. And unfortunately for me, it's all happening at once versus spreading it out but i did plan I, I took a look at when i got all this stuff and it's been five years or longer and it's like yeah i actually i need to upgrade this stuff because it goes bad or it fails a lot of hobby podcasts have to quit because their equipment fails and they have no recourse they have no ability to do anything so a planning to replace it every three to five years financially is probably in your best interest and then b if you do have a patreon that money can come in very helpful to pay the monthly bills, as I was saying before, plus the refresh rate on your equipment. Yeah, and even things that you don't use very often will just randomly go bad. My mixer sits in the same position. I use I, I turn two knobs on it. You know, the, the studio volume and the headphone volume. Everything else basically stays the same all the time because it's all set up the way that I like. It's still going to go bad eventually for no reason. It's just it's an electronic. 
You know, my monitors are, are coming up on six years old. One of them's going to start to fade and I'm going to notice because I do a lot of photography and it's, I'm going to be like this, it's brighter over here. So I'm going to try to set the settings. I'm getting my calibrator out and it's just not going to work right. That's just how electronics are. So you have to, you have to account for attrition. And even if you're not trying to make it a, a full-time job or a part-time job, being able to get a little bit of money for the podcast that you do, whether that's through the ad support model or through a small Patreon with a couple of, dollars, a couple of people just throwing a couple of dollars at you, just to keep up on that, it can make a world of difference in making your podcast continue or you dropping out of the space. So you are, as we discussed before the show, a freelance podcast producer. That's the term to, to use for what you do. If somebody wanted to transition from hobby podcasting into freelance podcast producing, what advice would you have for them? I'm, I'm going to go old school here. You ready? Oh, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to quote Oprah Winfrey. Ooh. Oprah. And I'm going to get this wrong, but the, the essence is going to be there. You get a car. <laughs> you get a car. <laughs> No, no that, not that one. Okay. Patreon's not that good. Okay. I fully believe this. And it's, uh, it's a simple line that says, luck equals preparation plus opportunity. You are preparing. If you're a podcaster now and you're in the hobby space, you're preparing to be a professional podcast producer, a professional podcast host, whatever role you're looking you know, at, a professional podcast editor. If you're doing that work right now at a free level, at, at a hobby level, at at a level that doesn't make you money to pay your, your normal living expenses. You are preparing for it right now. Prepare for it hard. Understand the ins and outs. Keep up on the trends and see how things are going. I watch a ton of YouTube that I don't like because I want to make sure that if there's something new and exciting and a different way of pre presenting information out there, that I know what it is. Wait for the opportunity. The opportunity will come. Go to events, go to podcast movement, go to Podfest when, you know, when, when and if that ever happens again. Go to podcast meetups. Be in the Discord for other podcasts. Understand that there are certain resources, certain people out there that are really good at connecting people with the opportunities. My opportunity came with a chance meeting at leaving Nerdtacular 2017. Tom Merritt and I were at the same gate leaving to go to LA and I threw an idea at him. I had ideas in my head. Hey, if I get a chance to talk to Tom, I'm going to suggest a few things. He liked my ideas. Uh, one of them in particular that got me in the door that started getting me available for other things. I took leave several times in order to fill in for, for Roger a few times just to show that I was willing to do it. You know, leave being, I, I took, time off from work, paid time off from work to, to sit at home and work on, on DTNS for a little bit, because I knew that that, that opportunity would, would sprout. And I just stayed persistent. And now I'm, I've got several contracts that I'm working and it's all because of that initial opportunity that happened at Nertacular and all the preparation that I'd done beforehand. Be prepared. Yeah, my, my advice is be prepared and keep your eyes open to opportunity and never expect work for free. That's bogus. Nobody, nobody should be working for free. Yeah, one of the things that I look at because, you know, I'm the moderator of our podcasting, there's a lot of I can edit your show sort of posts out there. 
And I've heard the same things on Facebook. I'm not in any Facebook podcasting group. Matter of fact, Stargate Pioneer was kicked off of Facebook. <laughs> well, it's a story for another time. But one thing that I've noticed is the people that come up and say, I can edit your show for $20. I can edit your show for $50. It's like, okay, what exactly are you getting for that money? That's the question that I ask when I see that. What are you getting for that money? Or if you're posting for that, what are you providing for that amount of money? And it's really not much. And there are mm. people that just don't want to do anything. They want to give the raw files to somebody and have them just run a quick effects run on it and then publish it. And that's all they want. But if you're actually producing a show, there is all sorts of things that have to happen. If you're doing a live show, there's different things. If you're doing a show that needs to be produced after the fact, there's a bunch of things because you have to take out ums and ahs. You have to edit content. Not only are you leveling it out, but you're taking out click mouth clicks or dogs barking in the background if you can, stuff like that. And with the quick 20 or $50 thing, you're, you're not. So understanding how to do all of that then opens up your aperture, I would think, to be a freelance podcast producer or editor or whatever you want to be, because at least you're understanding the different things out there and not just, I know how to run Audacity. Which, uh, honestly, I don't know how to run Audacity. <laughs> and that's probably better off for you, especially nowadays, but it used to be the, the go-to thing because it was free, yep. and, and now it, there are other considerations with it. I still think it is. I still think it is the go-to, because I, I, I spend more time talking to other editors that use Audacity because it's free, and I'm just like, there's so many better ways out there. But for you, if that works, it works. For me, I can never quite get a grip on it, but Audition, like, clicked in my head so I, I use audition and then i've got people trying to tell me i should go to pro tools and i'm like i don't see the benefit of going to pro tools so now i'm i'm the audition or i'm the audacity for their audition but they're at the pro tools level and i'm still stuck at audition you know so i, I get it i completely get it yeah once you know audio editing software and you're comfortable with it and you start challenging yourself that's one of the things that i did was I would go out and find audio clips, and I know this sounds really awful. I would go out and find audio clips of podcasts or news or whatever, and just take the audio and then try to clean it up and see how, how well I could clean up this newscast and get rid of the traffic noise in the background. Or listen to a podcast and this person says, um, and uh, and has all the vocatives that you could ever hate, and take that and try to clean it up. And a lot of what you will learn is some of it's very, very easy. A lot of it is not. And some of it is downright challenging. And I, I ended up with the perfect chance right at the end of my Air Force career where they had a skill bridge program. And I mentored under Jenny Josephson, who had worked with Marketplace as a producer. And she put the screws on me and really refined my editing skills. And when I was working with her, she would not let something pass unless she, unless it was, as she called, public radio level. Mm. And it was great. It really upped my editing game. But man, was I stressed. Because you're doing it on a time crunch when you're doing this as a paid gig. Oh, yeah. And you're, you can't just cut something out and say, oh, they repeated it like three times, but I'm just going to cut the middle one out because it's easy. You really got to go in there and you got to blend words together because they repeated a phrase and the second 
part of the phrase leads directly into something else and you can't cut it directly, but you take it and then you got to blend it together to where it just sounds like they said it once and it's smooth. And you got to start worrying about tones of voice because if I'm at the end of a thought and I'm really just having a time with it and you want to cut there as a producer and then later on you want to cut back to me as super excited, I'm really excited about this other thing. Well, that the tonal changes are drastic and you can't have just that. You need to learn to identify that and you have to learn to leave some vocatives in because they're, you know, conversational. So it's a lot. And if you're, if someone's saying, I'll, I'll edit your podcast for $10 or whatever, ask for samples. Ask for audio that they've cleaned up. And almost always you'll find that the audio they've cleaned up hasn't really changed. They just added some music to it. Bet it. Put the beds down. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I definitely wanted to get to before we end today is your love of photography and videography. Mm. It is something that you do. You actually contribute or do a monthly show on it. And I listen to it just because I am not that into it, but I still want to know what's going on in the industry. So you have the perfect product for me for that. But I know you know a lot more than just that quick 20 minute a month show. Um, I, it's something that I keep track on because I am a photographer. I do. I would love to become a professional photographer. I, I call myself semi-pro now because I've gotten paid for a few things, but most of the work that I've done has been either hobbyist or volunteer. Like last week I did the BIPOC health fair down in Anchorage. And that was a volunteer effort and pictures turned out great. And they'll probably be published in, in newsletters and things like that. But I didn't get paid for it. It was a volunteer thing because they're a nonprofit and that's how I roll. And we're and I started the, the photo news monthly as an add on to daily tech news show because Rich Strappolino and I are both avid photography enthusiasts. He loves the film world. I love the digital world. There's a lot of crossover, but a lot of differences. And we started doing that as just a way to kind of get out there and, and see if there's people that enjoyed it. And we got enough feedback that this month, in fact, on Saturday, we are changing up the format a little bit to where Rich and I will be on in a similar format to how a Daily Tech News Show is. We'll be bouncing ideas off each other, having a little bit more of a conversation, and it'll be a little less headlinesy. And then we're going to see how that works. And if that works, you know, maybe it'll spin off to its own show eventually, but for now, it's just uh, it's an add-on for people that listen to Daily Tech News Show, and we're we love it. it. It's work because it takes a lot of preparation to get into there, but it's a topic we really enjoy and we love to talk to people about. So it, it's exciting, and I'm I'm glad I came up with that idea, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear it, Rich. <laughs> so along those lines, there's been something that I've been wanting to ask you for a while. As a matter of fact, I messaged you about it. And one of the reasons why I was excited to have you on, I just said that I'm in the middle of a studio refresh. One of the things that I want to refresh is my studio camera. Right now I'm using the Logitech C920 or C922. So what we've recommended on Better Podcasting quite a bit, but mm -hmm. I want to up my game a little bit. I don't want to spend a whole heck of a lot of money. I realized that I might have to. I mean, one of the cameras that I was looking at for quite some time was the Sony A6400 to have both in-studio and as a vlogging camera or you know YouTube content creation camera. But in both those cases, in both a hobbyist studio camera 
And in a initial vlogging camera, staying away from like the GoPros and actually going to a camera, what would you recommend that I consider? There are, so right now is the big mirrorless revolution. Everybody's going mirrorless. Nikon, Sony, Canon, Pentax, like everybody's going mirrorless. And what's happening is a lot of us are switching to that and we're selling off our old gear because we want the new lenses and we want the new camera bodies and everything else. I would recommend any DSLR from the last couple of years that can run an automatic, like stay powered in. So me being a Canon guy, I'm obviously going to go with something like the ADD. Uh, you can find them for a couple hundred dollars. Now they're fairly cheap. There's a power adapter that will stay in. It won't overheat. You'll still get 1080 video out of it. And the lenses that you can get for that are going to be just fine for what you're doing in the studio. You don't need the L glass or anything else to get a good image out of that, out of that camera. And I would say something like that or equivalent Sony or Nikon models, which are, there's a plethora of them on the market right now. If you're going to go new and you want to future proof, I would go with the, probably the R6, the Canon R6. It's going to give you all the features that you need. It's fairly hefty. It's, uh, I think, $1,700, something like that. It's going to have the R mount lenses. And you're going to get a wonderful picture. It's going to be light enough to vlog with and to mount for your studio. It's also going to be a great stills camera for just general photography. And it's still good enough to go out there and get some good high definition video for any events, weddings, things like that, that you just want to experiment with. So if you're just going to keep it in studio, I would go the used APS-C from the last say three or four years or maybe even a little older because I think like the ADD is about five years old. It's an amazing camera. But if you're going to go, if you want to be able to multi-use it, I would say go ahead and go with one of the lower end full frame mirrorless models that are coming out right now. But if you want to wait just a little while, and in fact, it might, they might be ready, ready. Canon has the R7 and the R10 coming out, which are APS-C lens cameras. They're mirrorless, they're light, they're small, they pack a punch, and they can still got they still have great clarity and image quality, and they're not going to break the bank because those are the they're they're more budget minded models. For so for under a thousand dollars, you get a brand new camera that is still going to be able to do go out and do decent photography out in the real world. They'll also serve you very well with a, depending on how far away your camera is, probably like a 24 to, to 70 lens, which is, that's going to be in the range that they're going to come with on, the, on a kit anyway. Although I always recommend upgrading from the kit lens. Strapping that on there and being able to point it at you. It's got the little flippy out screen so you can see exactly what the camera sees right there. That's where I would go. If you're, if you're wanting to go higher than the C920, C922, which consequently I'm using the, the Logitech, was it the Vio or the Vio or the Rio, Rio 4K? Rio. Yeah. That's what I'm using right now. I bought this because I wanted to be able to sign into my Windows computer with just my face. 
And then the M1 chips came out and I switched to an M1 Mac mini and I don't use it for face ID anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was considering the Brio 4k too, as well as a, as an interim upgrade. Cause it's only a couple hundred bucks versus hundreds of dollars for like the, the, what really tuned me into the Sony a 6,400 was the selfie screen. The fact that it didn't overheat mm-hmm. and the fact that it, I could outboard 4k video into my computer yep. from it, u- using an adapter, of course. Right. But, yeah. Those were the reasons why, and interchangeable lenses. That's the yep. reasons why I wanted to get, but I know camera equipment has evolved a little bit in the four years or so since that came out. So that's where I'm, I'm at the initial discovery stage right now again. Yeah. And, and if you're really like, uh, if you don't have any brand loyalty, honestly, Sony is doing amazing stuff that now's a great time. If you're, if you don't have brand loyalty, i.e. you don't have thousands of dollars invested in lenses from a particular manufacturer now's a great time to try sony out especially some of their older stuff that's that's getting a little cheaper on the market because they really haven't changed their form factor too much they've changed their ergonomics a little bit but just like canon they keep the same menus and things like that but they have a i mean they pioneered the mirrorless space and anytime you go mirrorless you're going to go smaller more compact you're going to go with basically easier to use and yeah, the A6400, it's going to give you great quality with for what you need. And it's still going to, you know, if you want, you can still take it to, you know, a bar mitzvah and get good pictures. Like, it's still a good camera. Okay, well, I'll do some research into those and we'll talk again. Yeah, it's it, it sounds so much harder than it is. It's because there's such a plethora of options. It, it's Or yeah. I'll listen to your show with Rich and listen to what I should be looking into we uh we, we, yeah there's some big news about APS-C cameras coming down the pipeline that we're going to be covering this week, so okay so back to hobby podcasters okay would you have any advice for a hobby podcaster that we haven't discussed today that you just want to get out there oh i have tons <laughs> let's go I'll keep, it, I'll keep it brief uh step one Make sure you uh, gain your uh, significant other approval and stay within their limits. Because as much as you enjoy it, it is time you're dedicating to something other than the family. And if you have plenty of time, that's great. If you think you have plenty of time, but you don't, that is not great. Make sure you have your significant other's understanding and approval and don't go beyond their bounds. Because honestly, podcasting is not worth losing a long-term relationship for. Two, listen to better podcasting. Listen to the old episodes. I say that I'm on your show, SP, and I understand how campy that is. But there is so much knowledge. And if you have something in particular you want to look at, they do amazing show notes and you can go through there. And I don't always agree with their opinions but they always have opinions on it. And it can kind of give you an idea of where you want to go and what you want to look for from there. And stay within your budget. Like understand that podcasting, you can podcast for free. You can. You absolutely can. After you buy the gear. How expensive is the gear? You can podcast for as cheap as, I'd say $200 if you're going with used equipment. If you have an existing computer and a decent internet connection, you can go as high as a multi-million dollar studio. Understand your budget. 
Because if you blow your entire budget on a high LPR 40, and now you don't have any way of recording that high LPR 40, that's not going to work for you. Yeah, and the gear has <laughs> changed so much since we started podcasting on Better Podcasting and yourself too, since you're about the same era. ATR2100 was around when I started, but I didn't know about it. I wish I did. So that was one, you know, the XLR. And now it's discontinued. Right. But you could still get a mic like it, right? Like the AT2005, the ATR2100X. And the. I didn't. I didn't. The 2500. uh, And you can still get the two Q. uh, Q Samsung Q2U is the big one. Yeah. Yeah. So the microphone and then the recorder with the PodTrack P4, nothing like that existed at all for podcasters. Right. I mean, it was all music-based, even the Zoom recorders that we I'm using to record this show right now, the Zoom H6. It's a much better capability for podcasters, the Zoom P4. It has its limitations. It can't record in higher bit rates or sample rates. You know, it's fixed for that. But you get four inputs, you get four headphone outs. You get the ability to go back and forth to a computer and record that track as well. It's a heck of a little machine for $200 or just over $200 that did not exist when we started podcasting. I wish this stuff existed when we started podcasting because I wouldn't need the thousands of dollars of equipment that are off to my right hand side. Yeah. Or if you don't want to go the hardware route, if you're on a laptop, something like that, and especially if you're on a Mac. I mean, Windows can do it, but voice meter banana has never been my, my deal. You can go into Mac, you go to Rogue Amoeba, and you pick up Loopback, and you pick up Audio Hijack. Those two pieces of software, when matched together with a USB microphone and a Skype connection or whatever Discord audio connection anywhere, and suddenly you can have a two-track, separate tracks audio, and then you can go from there, and you can do all the things that you need to do just from that. You know, there in, in GarageBand, and you can you can do it. You don't need a ton of stuff invested, and the more you're willing to work at it, the cheaper it can get for you. But there are a few basics, like you can't podcast without a microphone. If you're podcasting on a, on a webcam, you are doing it wrong. Period. Cell phone, microphone, the same earbuds, I would <sighs> say, would be about the same. I mean, I've recorded stuff with earbuds, and it's just... Uh, for a guest, I guess it's okay, you know, if they're, it's the only microphone that they have, but I'm not doing it full time, that's for sure. The problem with, with, uh, with editing an episode with, that someone's recorded with their headphones, with their, you know, he- he- earbud headphones, is the fact they always loop the cable around so they can hold it like a microphone, mm-hmm. and the entire time they're sitting there messing with their fingers like this, and every time they do that, you can hear the rustle on their microphone from the wire, or from their fingers. And it's just awful, and you can't get it out. You can minimize it, but you can't remove it. And then you have an editor like me listening, and I know they're on that microphone doing exactly that. It's so aggravating. The things that drive you nuts. Okay, so I interrupted you. I squirreled down the gear path, but you were like number three. Did you have anything else that you want to tell hobby podcasters? Keep at it. Keep at it. Don't be afraid to change. Don't be afraid to try new ideas. If you try something and you don't like it, don't be afraid to walk away from it. Podcasting is literally the blank canvas in front of you and you can fill it in or replace it at any point. And there are a bazillion, billion, jillion podcasts out there covering every possible topic you've 
ever heard of, except one, the one you really want to hear. So find that, explore that. And even if there's other podcasts in that genre or in on that topic, they're not the perfect podcast. There's something else that needs to be brought up. There's another way of, of conferring the information or making people laugh about it or just sharing raw data. Just find it and just keep trying until you do. And if it's something that you enjoy, if you enjoy the feedback, if you enjoy the process, just don't stop going. Like tenacity is, tenacity will bear all fruits. Eventually you'll hit something with it. Yeah. And especially like podcasting, once you get the initial investment, everything after that is basically easy. You know, you, you don't have to, you're not spending tons of money to put 53 podcasts out there. You're spending time and that'll, that'll naturally whittle itself down. See rule number one. And, um, you know, you just find the things that you really enjoy. And, and if you're not out there trying to make a living at it, then none of it matters as far as monetary gain or anything else. You can just enjoy yourself and get the audience engagement or just have your friends engagement. I mean, I've helped uh, high school students that started it for a, a school project and are on their third year now doing this goofy podcast that 15 people listen to, including their moms, you know, but they're having a blast at doing it. And, you know, they're doing all their own editing and everything else. That's the preparation I was talking about before. They're just waiting for the opportunity. We recently had dinner with my daughter and her boyfriend and her boyfriend just out of the blue said, yeah, I want to start a podcast with my roommates when I go back to college in the fall this will be the last year we're together so i want to start a podcast for it and my daughter's like you know my dad is actually kind of a podcast consultant he can help you and he just looked at me like, you know about podcasting yeah yeah I, a little bit i i think it can help you out here so he had very specific he's like i want a microphone for every person and i want a way to record it i don't know how to record it i'm like i've got the deal for you See that Zoom H8? I'm not using it. I can yep. give it to you. And he's like, oh, you do that? I'm like, yeah, I'm not using it. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. And it's really more about the topic than the process as far as having something that you're going to continue doing. You've really got to love, love what you're talking about or love who you're talking to, one or the other, or both, preferably both. <laughs> preferably both, because... I mean, ultimately, if you're podcasting, you're putting it out there. Why are you? I guess that's the question. Why are you putting it out there? Are you putting it out there because you want to build a community? Or are you putting it out there because you want your opinions out there for posterity's sake? Which, as old as I am, and I'm older than you, as old mm-hmm. as I am, you start to think about, okay, what am I going to leave behind for my kids so they can go back and say, I wonder what dad would say about this. And maybe I have a podcast out there about that. <sighs> I have been trying to convince my wife and my kids to do a podcast with me forever. And the only one that is willing to do a podcast with me is my nine-year-old. And I'm not willing to put her on the air full time. So, you know, maybe once she hits 14 or 15, we can start looking at doing something like that. But she's still a little too young right now. But she's the only one that wants to do one with me. And yeah, I would love to do one with my family so that later on down the line, when they have kids and I'm not here anymore, they can go back and listen and have what's going on now. What are we thinking about the news right now? And what's, you know, technology and how we see ourselves and just posterity. Like you said, man, for the, for the family, if you ever plan on having grandchildren, 
podcasting is an amazing idea. You don't even have to release it anywhere. Just record them and set them up and put them on a hard drive, put them in the cloud somewhere and make sure people know where it's at. And, uh, you know, link it in your, in your last pass and then have, make sure your last pass goes to one of your kids when you die, you know, and suddenly boom, there's hours and hours and hours of old grandpa SP, you know, talking about whatever, like, it's such a great idea. And, and I've been trying to do something like that with, with my kids. And, and if you can, if you can convince your semi grown or grown adult kids to do something like that, I would so recommend for anybody just because your grandchildren can do research papers on listening to you talk about current times and the things that you enjoy about life and about American or Canadian or, you know, South African life right now. Like you, you could do that. You can make that a, a possibility, but you have to do it. So go out there and get started. And there's so many other questions I want to ask you. Maybe we'll get together another time because there's a lot of different avenues to talk to you about. You're just a great resource out there and a very interesting person to talk to. Thank you. I like being called interesting. It makes me feel better about my failures. (laughs) As the rest of us too, too. So we've talked a little bit about the different podcasts you have, but if somebody's Mm -hmm. looking for you or maybe they want to hire you, where would they look for that? If you want to get to know me, follow me on Twitter at Ethan Kane or go to my website, anthonylemos.com. And I'm sure SP will do an awesome job of putting those in the show notes. If you want to hire me, go to audioaperturemedia.com. That is the uh, one-man show, one-person show that I run as my LLC so that I can get hired for things and uh, collect a paycheck and be legal with the IRS. That's how that works. And you can find me on Instagram at Ethan Kane. That's probably the preferred way if you want to see my photography because you can see it on my website, but I showcase all the best of this stuff on Instagram. And uh, at Ethan Kane, I think that's how you find me there. Pretty sure that's how you find me. Okay. I'll make sure I link that in the show notes, as you said. It's, it's one of those things where my username doesn't match my login name. And it's like, why did that work out like that? But uh, whatever, Facebook, whatever. All right. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And like I said, maybe we'll have you back on again sometime because I know there's, uh, I'll talk to you off the air. There's a couple of topics that I wanted to delve into, but we'll save those for a rainy day. Sounds good. Sounds good. Look, looking forward to hearing from people. Well, thank you for being with Anthony and I, or Amos and I, until the end here. If you like content like this, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and like this video. Steven and I would greatly appreciate it. Next week, this is where I normally promote who's going to be on the show next week, but I'm not going to do that. Next week, I plan to stream and chat with a secret guest who I know everybody listening to the show is going to love to hear from. So stay tuned to at better pod and our discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash discord for more information on this announcement. I will stream the show live on Tuesday night, June 28th at 8 PM Eastern time. So until then, bye.